The Shaky Town Radio Hour is on the air. I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. I'm Bob Schreier. We do not have Gene George or Libby Ward in the studio today, but I asked Bob to grab a clone of them for me. And what did you produce, Bob? Uh, I brought Johnny Browning, who is sometimes uh, certain aliases exist of him, uh, Victor Vector, sometimes associated with the band Man or Astro Man. It's, it's hard to determine who just who he is, but I can touch him and he is tactile. And I think he has good stories to tell. Very cool. Thank you for joining us, Johnny. Oh, good to be here. Very cool. Um, we have in the studio today, as part of our ongoing preview of LA Zine Fest, as well as a few other events that he will tell you about, the one of the proprietors of Drippy Bone Books and the creator of everybody's favorite steroid warrior saga, Thank Galactic you. Breakdown. Keenan Marshall Keller. Hello. Thank you for rejoining us. You were with us a year ago. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we're doing another Zine Fest this year, 2013. Yes, we are. And another reading, yes. which you handled last year's reading, you and Tom Neely. Yes. And um, who do you have for, this will be part of Zine Week, part of the ramp up to Zine Fest. Uh, who's going to make it this year on the... Well, we got a really diverse group of people this year um, because we're trying to do it a little bit different. Last year, it was just a comic and zine reading, and this year, we're doing it at Footsie's Bar, and it's going to be uh, bands, readings, and DJs, so the whole night's just going to be like a multi-event, you know? So we have 12 readers doing comic and zines, and then we're going to have three bands playing uh, Smelly Tongues, Block, and Harasser, and they're all like... Extremely eclectic lineup because they're all completely different types of bands. One's a punk band, one's like a speed hip hop band, and one's a metal band. So it should be it should be a lot of fun. And as for readers, we've got a ton. I mean, I've got Mark Todd, Esther Pearl Watson are both going to be doing a reading together. Um, we've got Zach Soto, Nicole J. George, uh, Gabriel Gamboa, who did a reading last year and was really amazing. Um, Tom Neely, who I'm doing the event with, is going to be having his readers read another Henry and Glenn story, so that should be really a lot of fun, and a bunch of other people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be at least 12 readers. We're not sure on the, the exact lineup yet, but we have most of them, so. Very cool. Now, this event is the night before the proper Zine Fest. This is uh, February 16th, about 8 o'clock it'll be starting? Yeah. 8 o'clock the readings start, and they go till about 10, and then 10.30 till 2 a.m. there's bands. Very cool. And I'll be at Footsies at 2640 North Figueroa. Yes. Um, but that is not the only thing you're doing this month. We talked with Adam Villison a couple weeks ago about Printed Matters... Um, Book Fest? Uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's got like a really long-winded <laughs> title. Really long like Printed Matters LA Art Book Fair. Yeah, Book Fair, um, which the opening's on January 31st and then goes uh, a few days For after three that. days after that. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be set up there. Yes, yeah. I didn't even know about the event until like three weeks ago, and mm -hmm. I just wrote the guys running it asking about next year because I thought it was already going to be like completely booked and I wouldn't be able to get in. And they wrote me back saying, can you be in? Yeah, do it this year, so... Should be interesting. It's at the Mocha. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a weird crossover where there'll be a zine area, but there's also like large art publishers, like some of the biggest, you know, like Tashin will have shit there. Another, mm -hmm. you know, Printed Matter is one of the biggest and best 
art bookstores in the world and they also yeah. distribute to all the major galleries in America so yeah and they were the first major store to pick up your work yeah yeah I, I just wrote them on a whim thinking like they carry zines I'll just send my comics and zines to them and they have been really supportive and they've taken most of our titles when, when we send them to them so yeah now yeah. for those who aren't familiar with Grippy Bone Books who may have not heard our conversation with you a year ago um I mean I, Bizarre is such a overly used word, um, but I think your your releases are truly bizarre. Uh, what? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm looking at thrippybonebooks.com right now. I'm seeing your daughters will bear our children. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm seeing um, a dude with a monkey head in here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, of course, we know Galactic Breakdown, which is, Royds is a Florida drug dealer. Um, Keenan was taken from the, the warm bosom uh, of our country, uh, the, the, where our country's government is founded there in Virginia, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and yanked to Florida against his will as a teenager. And, that is true. And that uh, informed, I think, your... That will definitely informed informed Galactic Breakdown, and and the hero hero quotes <laughs> yeah. Roids uh, and his his adventures. What what is happening with Roids currently in the saga? Um, <laughs> pretty much more of the same. Um, he's still huge, and he's just uh, destroying motherfuckers basically. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on the issue five part two. But that won't be coming out for a while just because of all these other projects that I'm working on at the moment. But um, the next issue is going to take a giant turn in the series. So mm -hmm. it should be pretty interesting to see if anybody even likes it. But yeah. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And like we talked about before, it's all about like stupid with two O's. Just like trying to let my brain like not exist and just yeah. draw and like come up with really dumb ideas. So yeah. And, and sorry, I was just going to say it's worked so far <laughs> for me. So. Very cool. Now, Bob, uh, Keenan and I were talking earlier um, about Drippy Bone Books and uh, his partners in Drippy Bone Books. Uh, one is uh, based in, you have two partners yes. in, in Enterprise. Um, one is based in... I have Mario Zutz is based in Denver. That's right. And then Christy Foom is in Amsterdam. Yes. And I, I asked if he, if he might know or we'll, we'll find out, you know, if Christy knows um, Eric, who, Bob, you're doing a zine with. Or comic with, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, funny. Ivan the Ivan the Viking. Yes, sir. So what's going on with Ivan the Viking? Uh, I'm well, asking because I, I want to know. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I like maybe the most of all the things I'm doing now. Um, it's so competitive. <laughs> um, it, I just basically uh, I've started working on a. I haven't really put it out to 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 for people yet, but. Was working on uh, its own web page, and uh, I made like a Facebook page. So if you go to Ivan the Viking on Facebook, you can see uh, like the first uh, four or five pages uh, so far. Kind of it's just sort of an introduction to the story and characters, and uh, it's tremendous to see Eric's illustration. Like this has been one of the funnest things I've ever written. I've never written a comic before, so yeah. it's just I can't. I mean, if I gave you a map to my bathroom, you'd piss in my kitchen. So I've never really tried to write anything that I would then be drawing. So it, just, it never occurred to me yeah. to write anything anyone else would draw. And then I just came up with this idea. And Eric was like one of my oldest and dearest friends. 
is you know a huge comic guy and it's like you know, already was like, you know, part part ownership when you know for me just just kind of introducing the idea to him. So it's been incredible to to be able to write just dialogue and to sort of say like, "Hey, illustrator, make this happen." <laughs> and it's it's kind of a crazy process. I mean, it's sort of like sleepwalking and shoplifting while you do it, and then waking up to all this stuff that you now kind of own. Because Eric and I have known each other for so long, and there's sort of, you know, there's a lot of ways where we can certainly, you know, predict how the other will anticipate certain things or react to certain things or maybe, you know, uh, perceive. <laughs> that was Ike, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> so it's amazing, just, you know, sending these things off to him. You're like, hey, here's, you know, here's this dialogue, and, and you know, here's some rough idea of what I want visually. And it's, you know, you really have to nail down, you know, if you really want exactly what you imagine. Like, there's so many stupid little things you've got to, like, yeah. nail down, like, make this a quarter of the panel and then this, whatever. So I, I realized that I gave him, like, so much less instruction that I really, you know, it's like, guy and panel. <laughs> so seeing the things he comes back with, all, I mean, all the little details that, it, that he puts in it and, and the characters and the... The style that he's drawing in is is amazing. One of the things about Eric that always kind of impresses me is that he's as an artist, someone who doesn't really, you know, I think so many artists are are just sort of hoping to develop a style that they can always be sort of recognized and seen for. To where Eric, for all his talents, is sort of going against that to to not be predictable or to not be known as one style. And when you look at his body of work, it's incredible because he can just do. You know, something that's so fantastic versus something that's so like you know very realistic, and it's just it's all so fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> so getting him to illustrate this for me is really pretty fantastic. All right, cool. Now, Johnny, you obviously have um, vast experience musically. Yeah. And uh, Man on Astro Man has that you know aesthetic of you know sci-fi aesthetic and and surf rock and and, and there's definitely a the Venn diagram of Folks into that, and folks into like pulp and and comic books and things like oh, yeah, that. Oh yeah, it all know? kind of leads back to the same place. Yeah, yeah. What 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 kind of works inform your art? Would you say as far as uh, musically, or or have you you know dipped into those waters of, of writing and and print art stuff? You know. Well, I mean, when you're dealing with music, that's so. Uh, I, I guess it's just so kitschy. I mean, those sources are very important. Like without '50s sci-fi, like a band like that couldn't exist. I would think. Yeah. Without like cheesy '60s Japanese robot movies, like what would that band do? Yeah. Like we'd just be noodling at that point. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it stuff like that just has a huge influence when it comes to genre music like that. I guess, yeah. You know, that stuff's really important. Uh, it's kind of all we care about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Now, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because I'm only now getting into zine making. Um, I've, I've written and contributed before, um, but this will be my first time with Fair Dig at LA Zine Fest. will be my first time like producing my own work. Um, and I'm a solo musician, too. So I I don't know if I can't work with people. I managed to do this podcast with people, but um, 
Bob, you're collaborating with Eric. Mm -hmm. Keenan, you collaborate with both partners, and you are a curator, definitely. Yeah. Um, and which we're going to talk about actually your other event this uh, upcoming month at Synchronicity. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of just like to open this up to the the room uh, as far as collaborating with people. Um, how do you do it? <laughs> I just I don't get it. It's so hard. It's just one of those things. Like for me. I want to do everything myself, and I have a, a certain way that I want something to turn out, be it like music or a, or a short film or whatever, and uh, I just, oh no, it has to be perfect, like, oh, but I can't do this myself, so I just need somebody else involved. Then you get the other person involved, and you realize, oh my god, they do such a better job than I could have ever possibly done. And then it's kind of at that point to where you realize, okay, well, maybe working as a team is not such a bad thing. And it just grows from there, and it become you become really dependent on each other. Uh, so I would prefer to work with people rather than do everything myself anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> like, I haven't even thought about doing any solo work in many, many years because of that exact reason. Yeah. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the right partner, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like and music, movies, like books, like whatever, like comics, it, it's all the same when it comes to art. You just need the right person to work with. For sure. Now, it's easier for you, Prop. Well, I don't know if it's easier. We'll, we'll talk about this because you have your bandmates right there uh, most of the time, right? Although, I don't know if you all live in different places now. I actually live in Vancouver. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, everybody else lives in the South still. Yeah. Yeah. So. Man, I asked man's from Alabama originally. Yeah. So, we're all from Alabama. Um, at this point, I'm kind of, they kind of swap me out as needed because, mm -hmm. you know, I have a family and everything, and we all have different schedules, so kind of swap out members, yeah, depending on shows and whatnot. But sure, uh, but yeah, it's definitely hard when you're far away like that. But all those guys still live within you know two hours of each other, right? Right. And and Keenan, I mean, Denver's not that far, um, but Amsterdam is far. So you and Bob are both collaborating with people from in Amsterdam. Yeah, it seems like a magical land where everything is wonderful to me. My, my collaboration with my partners at Drooping One Books is more, we we each just curate our own zines and do our own thing without, I don't have to run it by them, they don't have to run anything by me, we're all free to do whatever we want, we just trust each other's like aesthetic, and we're all very different and we like different things, but under the umbrella of Drooping One Books, it makes it a much more diverse and interesting, you know, publishing label, yeah. so, and I like working with people because it's more fun. When I sit by myself, I do stuff by myself too often. It becomes stale. It becomes lacking of like truth and reality because it's all in my own brain. Whereas when I'm dealing with somebody else and working with somebody in collaboration, it usually helps me stay focused on what I actually wanted in the first place. It's yeah. not going off on my own weird tangents in my mind and shit. So. Yeah. And I'm working with Tom Neely on a comic right now where I'm writing it and he's drawing it. And that's I've never done that before either. And it's very... It's a very strange process. It, but I'm loving it, actually, because he can draw better than I can, uh, ever could. And the idea that we're doing is so fitting for his style, and he's bringing so much to it. So it's like, it's been great. I can't wait. Yeah, it is like some sort of Dr. Octopus crazy robot arms. You know, you're like, <laughs> I want this idea. And then you see it illustrated, and you're like, 
It's also nice when you write something to have somebody be like, that's cool as shit. I can't wait to draw it. That's right. like, holy fuck. And that's okay, a, then maybe I'm not so off basis with what my ideas are. Right. You know? And that's just the sort of back and forth that Eric and I always have. It's like, you know, because I just see what he writes and what he draws. I'm just like, God, this is amazing. Yeah. And to him, he's like, well, he's like, you know, I have, I have the benefit of having a really great writer. So, like, <laughs> well, um, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> Um, Keenan, you, before you got into doing comic books and doing zines, uh, you were doing filmmaking in Chicago, you did doing film school in Chicago, Yeah. you came out here to Los Angeles, and you hated the industry. Yes. Um, what particular, like, you don't have to name names, but... Um, I don't even remember, I don't, know. I don't have any names, you right. know, like... But, but, like, what... What happened? What did they do to you? I just... Uh, <laughs> that made you... Drove, drove the you film industry is just... It's... The main thing, it's boring as shit unless you're working high enough up and or you have money and or, you know, like, being on a set with a bunch of people that don't want to be there on some free movie. Everybody's working for free to get the credit of, like, First AD and you're talking to the script guy about... The script girl or the script guy about his great sci-fi project that sounds horrible for, like, six hours straight. It was just... I just... I fucking couldn't stand being on set. It was like the dentist and going to the barber at the same time, you know. It That's was the kind of thing that it sounds better when you're telling it to friends. Like, oh no, I'm just going to the set right now. And I know a lot of people that feed off of that whole, you know, like, oh, I work for three months straight, then I have no idea what I'm, what my next job is, and that shit has no, I have no interest in that. And then as the ideas I wanted to do as a filmmaker, nobody was going to ever give me money to do that, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and it was weird that it took me so long to come to comics because I don't need anybody's money, permission, or time. It's just my own. So then I can do these extremely weird, strange ideas. Yeah. But I just hated, I hated film school, and then I should have just gone straight to L.A. and try, jumped in, and then I would have known. But I went to film school. It was horrible. I came out here, tried to do it, hated it. I realized yeah. I just hate the process of filmmaking, so. Yeah. <laughs> how much, uh, how much were comics a part of your life prior to you? Like, were there things that you followed, or, like, was there a... Yeah, totally. When I was a kid, I, like, loved Marvel Comics. Like, I was kind of uh, label, you know, loyal. Like, I, I DC was boring. I loved Marvel, and I read X-Men, and Pun I loved Punisher, because it was the most violent, vile comic at that time that I could find. Um, and I loved that, and I collected, and I was part of that, like, age where comic collecting was seen as, like, an investment towards the future, and they, like, would sell you on variant covers and shit, and I didn't get into that so much, but I still was like there every week buying the new X-Men and putting it in a little sleeve and saving it, you know. And then 20 years later, it's worth less than what I paid for it still. Um, but I they had told comics. you to diversify your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no exactly. My dad was like, these aren't going to be worth shit. It's like, no, you don't, you don't understand, Dad. You know, he was <laughs> absolutely right. Um, but I loved comics to a point. And then when I got into film, comics started seeming really stale and I wasn't as interested in them because they... I. You know, I felt they're below me in some capacity when I started getting into film and I wanted to make stories. And it wasn't until I was in film school and getting bored and hating that that I went back to comics and started finding more indie shit and weirder stuff like 8-Ball and stuff like that, Daniel Klaus. And, and then when I moved out here, I used to draw and throw my drawings away all the time. And my wife at the time, who was my girlfriend, she's like, you gotta stop throwing shit away. Like, just care a little bit. And that was like when I started really drawing, so... Bob, did you do, read much comics? No. As a kid, I mean, as like a young kid, like comics were of really no interest to me. Wow. Like it was like None. not at all. Wow. Like just not at all. Um, 
it just it never resonated to me you know you had to though right johnny i not as much as you would think mm-hmm. i mean when i was uh i guess i was in middle school high school whatever i really liked image comics mostly because i think at the time todd mcfarlane was doing a lot of the artwork and it just looks so flashy and beautiful compared to like what was on marvel or dc at that time and i would just buy like every image comic that i could get my hands on and i don't think i ever even read them but they just looked so good and they were so glossy and just like graphic uh so i was really into those but as far as keeping up with like backstory of like oh you know this whatever happened spawn this this month or whatever i don't think i ever read them they just looked cool yeah, there's only a few I actually really read. There's a lot I bought, but like only a couple that actually was really care like like the characters. See, yeah. when I was young, I, think I felt a sort of a guilty tie in like only being interested in the pictures. Yeah. So sort of like I can't do this. There's a lot of writing here, and I'm not. I'm too like. Yeah, I'm talking like you know, ten, thirteen. Like I can't sit still long enough to read this. Yeah. I can just look at the pictures, and I know what's going to happen. And somehow I felt like some sort of weird. Um, Maybe it's because my dad couldn't read. I felt like I owed something to literacy as a as a as a, as a body. Um, I just didn't do it. But then for my early teens, you know, I I found you know things like like milk and cheese or you know, eight ball or hay uh, in record stores. So yeah. it's just like oh this that counts. This resonates to me. But, yeah. You know, a lot of the you know like hero sci fi things as a kid just never. It just didn't. It was wallpaper to me. It's never <laughs> like, yeah, Aquaman. He talks to dolphins. <laughs> I, yeah, I fucking have, need to know the backstory. Yeah, really? I have friends that are so into comics, like they they read every single issue, and I guess I just get all the word from them. You know, like like uh, like the new Dread movie that came out. Like, I my only reference to Judge Dread was that shitty fucking Sylvester movie. And uh, a friend of mine tells me, no, man, like. I think they're gonna do this right. Like this character is really, really great. Like I think this movie's gonna be cool. And then it comes out, and he's like, "Oh my god, best comic movie of the year!" And I was like, "Dude, are you serious? Like this is a year with like Batman and like this awesome Spider-Man reboot, and then fucking Dread." And I was like, "Okay, well I'll just watch it." And holy shit, isn't it amazing? It was fucking amazing. Best 3D movie ever made after like, Jackass I 3D. It. Like and that just it awesome just movie. Blew, it just blew me away how great it was. Like, okay, well, yeah, I guess it was know, like my favorite really film cares of the year. How's it? How's the Garth Ennis run on Judge Dredd? Uh, I haven't even been reading that because I mean, I'm, I too was a huge Punisher fan. I mean, not only when Garth Ennis uh, did it, but even yeah. before that, um, War Journal and, and, and all that War Zone Preacher and that stuff too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love Preacher changed my life. Preacher's part of why I'm an atheist now, actually. <laughs> um, but I just kind of talked about the Punisher for a minute. <laughs> why, why, why can't anybody get him right? Like, I'll never. Nobody will ever give me the licensing rights to Punisher. It's going to be coming though. I mean, there's every, everybody's going gritty. The movie now, would have so to be the perfect time for a good Punisher movie. Yeah, they tried with that war with the Punisher War Zone. Mm-hmm. They got that guy from that Rome TV series. I can't remember yeah. his name. And he was like the best Punisher so far. But for that's sure. like <laughs> that's not saying out much. of Tom Jane and. Thomas Jane and Dolph Lundgren. It's like, yeah, I think he might be the best, but it was a horrible movie. And I saw this, uh, like, Thomas Jane produced his own, like, little short. Short. Yeah, yeah and it was good. That was actually better than any of the movies. But. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, like, 
those uh, one-offs that wouldn't be part of the greater arc that would come out every once in a while. Yeah, like, it seemed like more would be like a BMW tie-in car commercial almost, but the Punisher, you know, but it wasn't <laughs> yeah. that, but that's what it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just can't, I, I, it seems like even in the comic books now, they don't get it right now that Ennis is off of it. It's really hard to have a guy have like a rage revenge boner for 35 years about his family being killed or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's really, yeah. just get a new you family, have to do a yeah. one-off and that's it, you know. Yeah. And so all the best comics of him are like, somebody's just doing the world, it's like a one-off idea, it's like four-issue series or yeah. whatever, and those are always like the best ones of Punisher. I'm, I'm interested in this Dylan and Way Thunderbolts with the Punisher as part of the Thunderbolts. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like that. him and Elektra and... See, that doesn't make any sense. Punisher <laughs> didn't team up with people. He's out to kill crack dealers. He, he That's what he does. Blood. You know, he kills mob de- mob bosses. He joins, so. joins for a while until it goes bad, <laughs> and he'll hook up with Fury or whoever and, you know, go after... But in the spirit of collaboration, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, he's yeah, supposed to be a psychopath, though. He's he not supposed to be. He's not a hero in any capacity. He just he literally kills people that he thinks are bad. There's yeah. like no justice involved. You know, that's why I love him. But yeah. that's also like if they make the movie, he should be like not sympathetic because he's not sympathetic. Yeah, you know? he's not. He was sympathetic maybe like a couple years of doing that but after dozens of years he killed like hundreds yeah. and like thousands of people probably if you were like the real Punisher movie if you look at the comics he's killed like 25,000 people in the series yeah you know? <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah um so segueing very abruptly from all that from the Punisher uh I want to talk about the event at Synchronicity oh okay so tell me about that um I'm curating loosely I'm, I'm helping uh the French publishing group Le Dinner Cree do their 20th anniversary show at Synchronicity, and it will contain um, dozens of hand screen printed poster prints, limited edition. They're hand screened books and uh, their animation, and it's all. Um, Paquito is the pretty much the heart and soul of Le Dinner Cree. He runs it. He's the curator of everything, and he's dealt with hundreds of artists from all over the world over 20 years and has made some of the best just vibrant brutal and beautiful books you've ever seen and so it's like kind of an honor i got to meet him last year in portland because i went up to do this big event called the projects it was um jason i'm gonna massacre his last name levian he's from floating world comics in portland he he and several other people decided to try to reinvent like the comic fest the zine fest So they invited a bunch of artists up to Portland and would sell their books for them. And they just gave them a space to be creative and collaborate for three days. And it was really amazing. And in that time, Paquito and um, uh, Marie-Pierre, who also is part of the Journal Create an Artist, they made a screen print book with all the artists that were there during the course of three days. So every day they're just pulling screens. They made like a 45-page, three-color screen book that was just awesome, really amazing. And I finally got to meet him and talk to him because I'd been in their books over the last couple of years. And he approached me about doing the show. So I like jumped on it because they're, they're absolutely my favorite publisher and some of my favorite artists in the world. They're really cool. And this event is at Synchronicity, which is Melrose and Heliotrope? Yes. Which is actually right around where Zine Fest will be. Um, the co- 713 North Heliotrope. There you go. Uh, how, numbers. How far? Was that date again? Oh, that, it's February first is the opening, and it's through the seventeenth. The last day it's open is actually the day of the Zine Fest. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Not only with Zine Week, which we detailed last week, but the day of. Um, I mean, because there's panels here, and 
events there yeah. and workshops there and synchronicity will be open for, for this event. So um, a lot going on. Yeah, it should be really amazing. The yeah. last one was great, and this one's a different space, but I think I think it'll work just as good or better. Johnny, uh, you, by the time people have heard this, will have played a couple nights ago. Yes. Um, are you doing more shows? No, this was just a one-time thing. We played at the Geek Dickerson Guitar Geek Festival in Anaheim, uh, which, if you don't know who Deke Dickerson is, he's basically like the king of hillbilly couture. Like, he's... He's very famous in that very small kind of group of people. Yeah. Really, really nice guy. He's he's been in some really great bands like the Untamed Youth and the Go Nuts and uh, just yeah, a really big roots guy. Uh, and we've always been huge fans of him. I've always wanted to go to that festival and I've never been able to go. Yeah. And then we were asked to play, and this is the final one that he's doing as well. And of course, we were like, well, hell yeah, we're gonna play this so uh yeah it was uh it was it was pretty fun do you have um, a, a preference as far as between festivals and events as opposed to like a one-off concert or even like a like your band is on tour your tour you're headlining the tour i mean what what's more enjoyable me personally i like uh i like headlining tours in clubs uh Festivals are kind of weird. Some of them, like the one that we did, the, the Deke Dickerson one, it was, it's built as a festival, but it's, it's a, it's a small kind of venue, like it's a convention center kind of thing, like a 400 capacity. So the word festival is kind of tossed around loosely. Yeah. Um, but like the bigger festivals, they're fun, but they're so stressful and, you know, you don't get sound checks, but it's great to play for like, you know, 4,000 people, like. Uh, but I, I do prefer like club gigs, 300, 500 people. And, you know, you can get in there and like really talk to people and hang out. And it's just a lot of fun kind of being able to connect to fans that way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I just, I've just always liked clubs, uh, especially like versus the old days to where, you know, you get home from a tour and you've got, you know, strep throat for a month because right. of all the smoke and now of course like you can't smoke anywhere so it's just it's a <laughs> lot it's better than it used to be in some ways definitely but yeah i would i would just do club shows for the rest of my life if i could yeah 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 my I, now i mean bob you toured with um the whitest kids you know uh johnny obviously with man or Astro man keenan i'm sure you've hit up festivals uh zine fests here and yeah there. i've toured with my wife and stuff and, oh yes of course too. leslie uh who Currently, what's the current band that she does? She's uh, Smelly Tongues, but she's also in the Intelligence. She's a drummer right. in the Intelligence as right, well. Right, right. Um, and previously with Red Ants. And yeah, she's a drummer for the Red Ants. She was in a band Static Static. She's, yeah. She did some shows with the Kills as part of their Black Rooster Club, yeah. which is like, you know, they do drum core stuff. So so you've definitely had, between the two of you, touring experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've not. I've, I've played <laughs> Phoenix in L.A., uh, so that's like the one big journey I, I've yet to do. Um, <clears throat> do you stop anywhere in between to play? Like you ever play Indio or no. Desert Center? I never. Have. I really want to do like, uh, like I want to do all the small towns in California, and and it'll be your last tour you ever do. <laughs> you never want to tour again. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's the small town shows that we do are usually my favorite. Yeah, those are the ones where nobody ever plays there. Sure. So. 
all the kids come out and they just so you're go an established fucking... band too. It has well, like fans. And that's, sometimes that does make a difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I once I remember I went. Um, I saw Nation of Ulysses play in Yuma, Arizona, and I don't know if anyone there that didn't drive to see them knew who they were. Wow. And it was a crazy, like, packed show. Everyone went completely off, and, and it was really, it was great to see that, like, this band that most of these people had never heard of re- responded so well, because you, you tend to think that people, and maybe it's just bigger cities, where, where people are kind of more spoiled with so many options, or just sort of be like, well, I'm just going to save my, I'm going to save my juice for when, the, you know. <laughs> this yeah, so show they comes. get so jaded, and yeah, you play right. a small town, and like, people don't get to see bands very often, and they just fucking go nuts. True, people and in your it's, it's the fucking flip out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, the, if any of you guys have seen that, uh, that White Stripes tour documentary, The Great White Northern mm-hmm. Lights, it's amazing because they're they're going to places like they're going to like you know territories and you know they're going to like Yellowknife and places that just nobody could drive to tour and play there. So it's just amazing like you know the, like entire towns are coming out just because like people that aren't you know people that certainly aren't in the the demo yeah are coming out because it's it's something in your town. So it's it's kind of yeah. I've always it's, sort of liked that idea of taking yeah it's great to. If I'm giving 110%, like I would like the audience to give it back. Then <laughs> if you play somewhere like like L.A. or whatever, New York, it's like, oh, they're fun shows, but and there's a few people that are really like obviously enjoying themselves, but most of them are just like, they're too cool. Yeah, I'm just too cool. I'm just, you know, I, I paid 30 bucks to get it's in. It's a cultural whatever, thing, you know? too. There's like hot spots where yeah. like people do, you know, per place in the South where people fucking dance, and then you go like just, you know, an hour away, one state over, and everybody stands around mm-hmm. or has their backs to your playing pool, you know, while you're fucking playing. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in the tour as the driving force behind. Um, distributing your art because i know that uh our friend tom neely who when he was he toured with the wolf and and yeah. was very he loved it and um i i like in zine fest obviously when you come you know with, whether it's la zine fest or brooklyn zine fest when you bring your materials um i've heard actually both i've heard that it's good and then i've also heard that you don't sell as much as necessarily you thought you would you, you can't go out to do any tour thinking you're going to sell enough to like pay for the tour. Right. Especially if you're somebody that's not established in any capacity. Like it's your first tour. Yeah. You better not go out thinking like, oh, I deserve this much money every stop. I'll make gas money all the time. Or you shouldn't be on the tour. You yeah. Know? You're, you should be doing it for the act of doing it. And then if you get the reciprocation of money, then it's like, oh, wow, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Just make sure you tour with uh, somebody in the band that has a good credit limit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But the, the, live, AAA, yeah. the live experience as the the main event as opposed to, because you know, content is so easy to come by for free now online, right. on, on the internet, as far as downloading music, as far as, um, you know, I mean, with printed things, it's, it's harder. I mean, there's... I mean, mainstream comic books get, you know, put on PDF. And, yeah. And well, I mean, there's even indie shit now. You know, there's like whole websites devoted, like Study Group, who put out, you know, comics by indie creators digitally that you mm-hmm. can like download and or look on their site, you know. So it is a readily available. Um, Touring is great, you know. Yeah. So it's all about, yeah, meeting people, talking to people, meeting like-minded people in other places Reminding yeah. yourself that you're not alone on the planet, basically, you know, yeah. and spreading the word. 
spreading the disease. <laughs> and so this, the meeting of like-minded people when you travel like that is such a it's such a crazy like you know just a sort of high point low point of you know cause you, you spend you know you spend your time eating and you know truck stops or you know you're in these places where you absolutely know you know like alright I'm in refinery New Mexico I can find what is the most you know like I what is the most accessible of my preferences aesthetically and I'm gonna be light years away from anyone <laughs> working here or or you know stop to refuel here and then it's just crazy you know it's, and then of course you know once your headlights get around more headlights and you hit the cities and it's just such a great you know, that sort of warm rewarding reminder that there are many like you yeah. sprinkled about the nation yeah so, so what happens to scenes now? Because um, on one hand, there's a lot more media out there to grab, and it, it's a big country. Um, but at the same time, you know, Keenan, you can curate with Denver and Amsterdam. Uh, Johnny, you can, between Vancouver and Alabama, set up shows. Uh, Bob, you would, between LA and Amsterdam, can set up a comic. <clears throat> so it's this weird paradox between it's a smaller world, but I feel like there's still a lot of territory covered and a, a lot more fo footwork to do if you're going to get as many eyes or ears on your art as possible. I think there's there's almost too much access at this point. Like, I could have like a 20-year-old kid get my entire music collection in like a matter of hours. Yeah, sure. And like, but then what do you do with like, you know, a hundred gigs worth of music? Like where do you even start? Like, I mean, I'm I'm from the time to where I would go into a record store and like buy an album based on how cool the cover looked. Yeah. And like shit like that would change my life. But what do kids now do? I don't I don't I can't I think it's that... it's hard to connect with them and really see what like how did how did you decide that, you know, how did you find this band? Like I don't know. I guess I'm just kinda out of the loop now. Well, I think the big difference is that your experience, which is my experience, which is that when you had limited funds and limited access, you know, all of your access to music was based on, you know, what could I afford to buy or who do I know that is doing, you know, like fucking working in a, as a bag boy in a supermarket to buy like used LPs. That's the sum of your access to music, mm -hmm. which is which is really a crazy thing to think back on. And the, the, I think the big distinction is that for us, like when we were kids, we were so much more likely to give something a chance because we had invested in it and we had limitations. So at some point, it's like, look, I fucking committed four ninety nine to this at some point, so I'm going to go back to this and see if it's redeeming. And it's just that it's that you know it's that time of of eight or fifteen or however many times you didn't hear that thing before. That sort of snaps, and you're like, "Wow!" And it's to me, I can think of so many moments where where I heard a record, I just owned a record for, you know, sometimes a few years, and it would just come back to it. Like I'm bored with everything else, I'm just gonna go listen to this again and just see what happens. And something fucking amazing happens. And you think about that as something like there are things I look back on that are so, like, you know, maybe not life changing, but certainly life affirming that that I've 
come across that way. And it's crazy to think now that the kids maybe don't have that incentive because there is such an, such an access to media where they can just go find something that they're immediately, um, you know, their convenience in, in liking something readily is met. And I think that's, that's maybe the scariest thing in, to me in the sense of like the kids um, growing up with sort of a, you know, broadening their spectrum beyond like, you know, by accident. Yeah. Because really that's what it's like, you know, you surely you can, you know, so much of your identity maybe is, is, is predicated on music. So it's like, you know, maybe like there's a guy, you know, just some kid like grow up like a huge Morrissey fan, but then see some girl that's attractive in Creepers and check out Rockabilly? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works now. But yeah. it just it seems like there's certainly so much more um, ease and comfort of people to really sort of stay like kind of kind of exclusive or maybe pigeonholed into, into some really narrow parameters. Or like too diverse for their own good. You know? The right. opposite. <laughs> right. So Keenan, how did, how how do you address this with, with Horror Eyes, which is a collection of art, but you also have a music component to those releases. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> I don't even know if it, how it works into this conversation, just because I, I, yeah, it comes with a comp CD that I curate, I ask bands or like yeah. friends and people. And it's I know. all friends of your stuff you like. Yeah, it's all stuff I like that I've asked and I will try to do some diversity, but most of the time it's just weird, like yeah. underground punk, weird, you know, music. Um, but for but somebody like out you- there, you've become, like for me, Matt Average, record reviews and Max and Rock and Roll are what informed my early like interest in hardcore and things like that. So for somebody out there, that's kind of the scene. I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping maybe one or two tracks will lead them to go actually look at these bands. That's basically the only reason why it's attached to it. You know, it's just, I love mm-hmm. music. It informs like my art completely. It's part of my daily life. I wouldn't know what to do if I, you know, if there was no music, there wouldn't be any art of any kind. So, um, I, I feed off of it so then I want to like share it and these artists that sometimes are my friends but not always I, I just love the bands and I'll contact them if they're willing to you know be a part of it then it's a great thing and I know it, I, I know I've turned on a few people but I only do like print runs of Horizon like 100 150 so it's not like it's that <laughs> that mass that doesn't reach a very big mass audience right. but who knows maybe one day somebody will put that on a mixtape that they give to somebody that can you know goes from there but yeah yeah how, how uh Last Horror Eyes that came out was what, number four, number five? Number four, and it was a while ago. I'm working yeah. on number five now, but it's just taking a while. I'm waiting on some work from the artist's part, mm-hmm. and I'm still collecting music as well, so that probably won't come out until like summer of this okay. year. Okay. And you had done the, the Freak Scene event, and I think there was going to be a zine attached to that as well. Yes, yeah, we did, I, we did like a catalog for the show, which had like one or two pieces from each artist in the show. And then I did another zine called Freak End, which was just photographs from the weekend of the art show because seven of the artists flew out to LA and they all stayed at my place. And I live like in a studio apartment. I mean, a studio house. It's like yeah. one room with a bedroom. Uh, so we were like kind of on top of each other and we just partied for three days. And I'd never met most of these people and they like were willing to fly out on their own dime and come out to this art opening that I had. It was just a fucking blast. Yeah. So. And the photo zine came out just stupid. I think I've sold like three of them, you know. But it's like a it's a documentation that this thing happened. So yeah, very cool. Um, 
I, I think documentation is, is very important too for for these things. I, I, I'm really interested in reading um, like oral histories of um, bands. Like, like I'm I'm going to be interviewing. Uh, well, I should say I'm moderating a panel with Jimmy Alvarado, so uh, who's a, a big like East Side LA punk guy. Um, and I'm, so I'm really going to go back and read those, you know, histories of, of Eastside punk and, and things like that. But, but everything from uh, Give Me Something Better to uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life, things like that. Um, or even in comedy, like, like some of the, the early... Wires and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, and the Saturday Night Live oral histories, things like that. Um, I don't know, can you imagine... The things happening now being that important someday, or is it just there's, too much? There's now? already somebody on the internet writing about something that happened yesterday in yeah. like great length with like archived, you know, just the nature of everything now. Yeah. Like Frank Zappa said, people are like, uh, are, um, are, I'm totally gonna brain fart now. <laughs> uh, yeah, forget that. Sorry. I can't, I can't. <laughs> what did what Frank Zappa say? He, he, said, he said people are. See, I can't. If only he believed in brevity a little more, I think. <laughs> I think you might have retained that quote. I don't blame you at all. People are nostal- nostalgic for something that happens tomorrow, is what he said. Like, that'll be the future. And it's yeah. kind of that way now. Yeah. I don't know. What, what's, what's your experience with well, that? Well, I feel that. For so many, I feel that for for consumers of media, and that seems like such a weirdly like clinical way to refer to people, uh, but I feel it for people who are consumers of media. Um, so much of, of of what's important to you kind of just falls down to time and place. Is that you're only going to have, you know, there's whatever like whatever fucking punk band that makes you realize like yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> that happens once. And there's going to be 20 other bands that are sort of similar to that that are going to be really good, and there might be a fucking hundred, but there's only going to be one time that you stop everything and say, yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> so I feel like for people, like you know, that's always going to be important. There's always going to be somebody there that has the potential to wear that crown as being the person that's that important. So I feel like whatever the fuck is out there is is sort of worthy of having that sort of like that backstory and those outtakes and all those things. Yeah, I love, you know, watching documentaries, even on bands that I don't give a shit about. <laughs> sure. Because like a lot of ways I can connect with like this or that, but I yeah. just, I don't know, it's just always really interesting. Like I have a five-year-old daughter and I've literally seen that Katy Perry part of me documentary <laughs> probably 25 times now. And I don't give a shit about Katy Perry. But... I I can I I see what she's doing. Like I can totally connect with her after watching that. So yeah, that's the same kind of shit that you know I I've been through. Like, granted, she's on a much bigger level than. But you've me, been but, at it. Man, Ashman has been around for twenty years. Yeah, I haven't been in the band for twenty years. Right. But I mean. But do you just feel- touring in a in a band that's like semi successful? Like yeah. Once you get to that point, a lot of it is very very similar to. Giant like you know, arena bands too. It's like the same kind of shit that goes down and like all the same experiences. And I just, I love to see it. I watched that LCD sound system documentary the other day. I shut up and play the hits, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I don't care about that band. Like, <laughs> it's not my thing, but yeah. it was a great documentary. And the scene uh, where he's in the uh, storage space, just looking at all the equipment laid out. 
<clears throat> and they're gonna sell it. Really, really emotional shit. They're like, oh my god, like, I'm gonna cry. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just, I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it's great. Well, I have this uh, like kind of notion that, and I, and I sort of try to coin it as a as a I don't know, something that, that that goes into our lexicon. <clears throat> but you know, the band's good or bad. The band's first album was a mistake. <laughs> And I think that's why that sort of rings true, like mm-hmm. seeing those sort of process things is like, because you really like, you know, production sort of gives us this idea that everything is just this really deftly executed, brilliant thing. And that you knew the end product when you were, you know, driving to the studio to book it. And it's never the case. No. Nothing ever comes out that way. So it's just amusing just to see all those mistakes that go to make the process you can find us on the internet at shakytownradio.com you can twitter us at at shakytownradio you can like us on facebook at our facebook page facebook.com slash shakytownradio send us an email at shakytownradio at gmail.com or call us on the shakytown radio hotline at 626-66-SHAKE that's 667-4253 that's the same number I'm Bianca Berrigan of the LA Zine Fest and you're listening to Shakytown Radio Bob, earlier you had mentioned uh, like the record cover as uh, the kind of the basis which, you know, we judge on or, or we used to judge on, you know, before there was like so many reviews, you know, even then that, you know, I was able to look at reviews and now like there's just stuff floating out there. But I just remember walking into Stinkweeds, uh, a record store that it used to be in Mesa, Arizona, the Tempe Mesa border, now it's in downtown Phoenix. Um, and picking up uh, an LP of Black Flag in my head and that Raymond Pettibone cover art. And, okay, I'm in, you know. And, uh, I mean, that later era, Black Flag is not necessarily everybody's favorite. People yeah, Pettibone kind of does you a disservice because he's consistently a good artist. Yeah. He's very evocative and not a lot of that Black Flag later catalog is. But, and of course, you always found it used in stores. You know, like the, the, sometimes, like a band with a big catalog like that would always, you know, like the Minutemen um, didn't us just really put out as many records. But yeah, I remember finding a used because I mean, when you have like fourteen dollars in your music budget for the week, you're just gonna mm-hmm. get you're gonna go shotgun style with it instead <laughs> of instead of sniper. <laughs> so I remember buying the Minutemen's Three Way Tie for Last, which is like a lot of like acoustic stuff. And yeah, it's very folky. And it's a great record, but when you're 15, it's like, guys, I wanted to break windows, and you want to read Reader's Digest. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I mean, those, those, those seminal <clears throat> records for that kind of break you into things. Um, maybe we could talk about, Johnny, what, what was your, like, breakthrough album? My breakthrough album? Okay, this is, a, this is an embarrassing story, really. But I'll, I'll tell it anyway. Perfect. So uh, I guess I was 14. Um, now the timing of this is not going to add up. <laughs> I may or may not be an Manorester man, but right. I wasn't always, obviously. Uh, I take no credit for that, for the starting that band. I was not there. That was a long time ago. Uh, and I'm you younger, say, than, I'm younger may, than those guys. Do you, would you say that your access to Coastline makes you a more credible member of said band? Yes, because you live you live almost on the water, basically. Yes. All of those other people are at least two hours away. They are. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to point that so out. No, yeah, that for those sense. who may like to sh- 
maybe shrug you off as the Vinnie Vincent of Manor Astro Man. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to point uh, that out. That you know, Bird Stuff, the drummer, likes to think of me as the Jason Newstead. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm the guy that uh, I'll Facebook the fans and like go out and like hang out with people. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I saw you on Facebook. Let's get you on the guest list. Like, I'm that guy. Uh, and I love being that guy. <laughs> uh, so when I'm when I am doing shows with it, it's it's always fun to to, to play that part. Um, so yeah, you know, I think they miss me when I'm not there. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not there, there's a there's a girl named Ivana Nova who plays my parts, and uh, she does a great job. But she's she's no me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, record the the record that changed my life. I guess I was fourteen or fifteen. Uh, lived in Mobile, Alabama at the time. Uh, drove to Pensacola with some friends to see Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Uh, you're shaking your head like that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, they, they, another band that's been, you know, yeah, a project uh, that's been around for a long time. So, yeah, we, were, we got to the Civic Center and uh, first bands played. Uh, there was a really bad thunderstorm outside. Like, in, in the South, thunderstorms are... You know that they they come out of nowhere and they will just fuck your shit up. Uh, huge thunderstorm showed up right after the opening act, uh, killed the power to the civic center. Uh, we waited like an hour and they couldn't get anything other than the backup generators on, so show got canceled. Uh, so okay, well everybody's gonna get a refund. So I went to uh, like the next day, went to I think it was uh, Coconut Records or something like that, like whatever one of the record chains were, like the big ones back back in the 90s, to get my refund. Uh, so I was walking around the store with basically $15, like, well, I, I can't just take this home, I gotta fucking spend it. So just walking around, like, oh, that looks really cool, I'm just gonna buy that. And it was the Cramps, yeah. like, uh, it was my first Cramps record, and uh, holy shit, that was, <laughs> I just think, when you start thinking about, like, I would have made a different decision involved uh, Wolverine Blues instead. <laughs> what? Where would I be right now? So that that is like the the defining moment in my life, definitely. Uh, so I'm glad it worked out. Very cool. Yeah. Do you know about the Cramps inspired um, trailer at the at Hicksville Trailer no. Palace? So Hicksville Trailer Palace is these these tricked out trailers in Joshua Tree. Mm -hmm. um, and each one has a theme. And there's one called the Lux. And it's a cramps themed oh, yeah. uh, trailer. And my wife and I went and uh, we often vacation with uh, a friend of ours, uh, Gina. And Gina got the Lux. And so I got <laughs> to sneak in there and, and check it out. And just like horror stuff and yeah. cramps themed stuff and it was awesome so you should go oh <laughs> yeah that go sounds, to Josh Street sounds pretty awesome go to Hicksville <laughs> and you should reserve the the Hicksville uh, the, the Lux so uh, Keenan what about you what's your your big touchstone as far as music goes uh, and as far as these seems go. like a hard question musically just because I mean there's still some things that I liked as a kid that that I like now but I felt like I was always searching and it took me a really long time to find musically what I really was looking for. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, it was like an ongoing process where, you know, I listened to things over and over and, uh, but like Fugazi maybe when I was in, you know, Florida and high school, I wasn't straight edge or anything. I didn't give a shit about any of that. It was just the energy and the music and the dynamic, 
you know, nature of the guitars and the drumming and everything. Yeah. But maybe it could be as close to like seven years ago when I heard Iggy Pop's uh, A Zombie Birdhouse, and it's pretty much my favorite record of all time, and I fucking love that. And it really... It, Open, I was like, there is a record like this, and a lot of people hate that record. Yeah. A lot of people are like, that's you like, you say you love Iggy Pop, and that's your favorite record. You're a fucking <laughs> idiot, you know. And I'm like, doesn't matter. I love almost every song on that record. I listen to it, you know. I don't listen to every day, but it's the, the closest record to my record player, you know, yeah. at all times. So that would, I would have to say that. I mean, to me, that's my favorite record of all times. So that's the one that I'm tied to now. But then there's things like seeing the spits for the first time like nine years ago and like that's you know my one of my favorite bands of all time got to see them they're fucking amazing you know but yeah it's it's a hard thing to think of and zine wise i hated zines as a kid i thought it was all like poetry and fucking i hate my dad shit and <laughs> you know i just couldn't stand coffee shops and you know 14 year olds that smoked you know i just hated all that shit so i didn't like zines until i saw that they didn't have to be bad poetry or collage you know then when i saw that well i could put any idea i have into that aspect of publishing that's so i i didn't like zines until i was maybe like 28 or something you know like i was quite old before i actually gave them a chance so i don't really have a seminal i mean uh uh um Lisa Suck Dogs roller roller derby, you know, like that magazine maybe. Mm-hmm. But zine wise, I don't really have yeah. something that blew my mind. Johnny, what about in Alabama? What was going on in the Alabama zine scene? Or does such a thing exist? I'm sure that it has such to a exist. thing definitely exists. Uh, I don't remember too much about it. Mostly at that time, I'm, I mean, I was just reading Flipside when I could find a copy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there were Alabama zines. Uh, I don't think there were any that really took off. But uh, they tried, uh, and that's, like, I have to give people credit. Like, if you try, you're doing better than me. So <laughs> There's I wish you the awesome best. shit in Alabama right now, Mobile, actually, yeah. in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been back in a few years. There's uh, some, I mean, I just, I have some friends that, uh, my friend Chad, he runs Jethro Records, and it's a small, like, punk uh, label, and he's been doing it out of Mobile, Alabama for, like, 10 years or something what's his last name um uh, uh chad booth i know chad booth yeah man Jane, i've uh, known him forever yeah yeah, yeah. He's it's crazy yeah. yeah yeah i love I, and derek and <laughs> we, we used to back in my old bands like we played tons of shows with his <laughs> bands. <laughs> so i was wondering when you said mobile that's the first time like yeah he knows chad that guy was always chad. like he was the drunkest guy i've ever known <laughs> i assume he's grown up a bit since yeah. then but he's uh, still his new band is fucking great too yeah Gary he's Robert. always yeah he's always had a very kind of odd approach to music but it's always been great definitely uh just really really crazy stuff but, yeah uh, he was in a band called Mangina. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Cajun SS, which was like a band that like nobody would let play anywhere because mm-hmm. of their name, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. You and Bursa were in Humans, right? Yes. And, and that was uh, Mo... I want to say well, Mobile or Mobile. That was actually in Birmingham. Oh, okay. Uh, we, yeah, yeah. So uh, we were both living in Atlanta at the time and both just going through a lot of personal shit. And uh, he was moving to Birmingham. I had been in Atlanta for six months or so. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, you should just... We, we just started playing together because at that time, Man or Astroman had just kind of broken up. And uh, me and him were playing together, like trying to figure out what we wanted to do, like, you know, start a band or whatever. And he was moving to Birmingham and I wasn't having much luck in Atlanta. And he was like, man, you should just 
moved to Birmingham, you know, and I had just met who would be my future wife. She had, she had a small record label out of Vancouver uh, and she had flown in and visited and like, we really hit it off. Yeah. And, uh, she decided she wanted to leave Vancouver and like, just come, you know, live with me, which is like crazy. Like you, <laughs> she comes visit for visits for a week and then like, we're making plans to like move in together. But I was like, well, what do you think about us moving to Birmingham instead? Like the schools are better there, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah. So like, we just moved to Birmingham. Like it's another one of those like kind of weird life decisions and it, it worked out well. But yeah, we had that band and my wife, well, she before she was my wife, but she was in that band as well. Yeah. And another friend of ours named uh, Andrea. And uh, that was fun. Yeah. And uh, there's still talk. Like we spent a lot of time working on a record. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course, as bands go, it fucking, it, you know, we almost killed each other <laughs> broke up before anything came out but now I mean there's still talk of like oh you know we might might finally release that stuff yeah because like there's many many thousands of dollars that were invested in that and it's a great sounding album I think it's still like when I listen back to it it, it still holds up you know it, it's still like a good rock record so I hope that it comes out and people get to hear it whatever you people that might give a shit about it yeah, yeah. I just like I just like things to be out there. Like, I don't care if it sells a lot or whatever. It's just like, oh, here it is, you know. Sure. Try it out, whatever, you know. At least it's in cyberspace now. Shaky Town listeners, you're in luck. You get to be the first to hear a cure for cancer. This is Humans.
Posthumous release. Yes, I, I would hope so. Cool. Are you so. um, are you and Hollis doing anything musically? No, no. Uh, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> nothing. Uh, I mean, she tinkers and I tinker, but you know, we've we've got a family now, and it's just hard Which to make time for that stuff. You have every component necessary for Almost, a family yes. band. <laughs> yes, just a couple more years, and our daughter will be uh, old enough to like, get in the Partridge family van and just fucking <laughs> hit the road, dude. So yeah, yep. we'll see how it goes. Do you love Check Vancouver? back in five years. What's that? Do you love in Vancouver because obviously you guys uh, left Alabama eventually. I love being Canadian yeah. so much. Uh, I mean, the healthcare alone. Like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I can't imagine living back in the States again, uh, just for that, but the weather's great, like the, the culture's great. It's just like, there's a little bit of everything there. Mm-hmm. Great, a great place to just kind of, you know, do your thing, I guess. For all the time I've spent in, in British Columbia, it is like, to me as a tourist, I don't know if as a resident you will concur, but it is like. Swiss Family Robinson was turned into a city. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of it's it's somewhat isolated, but it's very independent and very, you know, everything you need is ample. It's very comfortable. Everyone is nice and cooperative. I once I, I was looking for uh, I was walking around in Vancouver once, and I I saw a policeman and I thought, well, he'll know where to get coffee. So I just asked, I was like, hey, do you know like a coffee shop around here? He's like, well, I'll walk you there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like. Man, where I live, <laughs> nobody would fucking believe this. <laughs> yeah, I. You know, it's funny because you're from Florida, or no, you're not. You don't claim it. You spent time in Florida. Yeah. And and he's you know, from Alabama, and Bob and I are from Phoenix, and, and these are all. LA gets a bad rap sometimes, but I think ultimately everybody knows cool things are happening here. Um, between Alabama and Arizona and Florida, that's some bad reputations. So, yeah. but there are good things happening if you dig, you know, deep enough. Well, no, maybe not Florida. <laughs> Keenan made very clear on his last episode with us <laughs> that shit in Florida. Yeah, as you said, the good bands are from Florida. Get down to Florida. They leave immediately. They yeah. never come back. Yeah, yeah. But, um,. You know, Keenan, you've been in LA now for a while. Bob and I have been here for enough years now, I'd say. About be five years in April. Yeah. Um, and and Johnny, I mean, you're obviously just visiting here right now, but I'm sure you've spent much time here on in, in California. Yeah, yeah. So, what is good? Would you say about LA and and what what potential is there? Um, even in the last year since you were with us, Keenan. With, I mean, with the art and zine scene here and music 
matter. Just to me, I mean, LA is just as bad as anywhere else. But mm-hmm. I've met more cool people and have met more people that have been like influential in my life since I've lived here than anywhere else. And in more in the positive than like the negative. I had a lot of people influencing my life in Chicago and in Florida when I lived there, but more for the negative. And here it's been the positive. I mean, I say it all the time in LA, people try to talk that LA is a really horrible place. It's all fake. But the way I see it is people let you know they're an asshole like in the first 30 seconds of meeting them. And it makes it way easier. And I love that about LA. It's like, all right, Dick, I'm done talking to you. And you can turn your back on them and be done. You know, like the first time somebody says, So what do you do? You know, at a bar, you're like, Suck my dick. That's what you do. You know, I like, can leave. You know, like you don't have to, you don't have to deal with their shit because they're so pompous or horrible. Yeah. And then it makes it easier to find genuine people. Whereas like in other cities, I feel like it's easier to be a dick and have a lot of friends, you know? <laughs> so I don't know. That's what I found from L.A. Yeah. I was at a, a wedding here. Uh, a wedding that I, I, I sort of crashed. Um, <laughs> a good friend of mine, was his wife didn't come. I was met the bride and groom at the dinner party, you know, prior to the, <laughs> the rehearsal party. And they're like, you have to come. So there were a lot of people there that I didn't know. And uh, so I just, you know, being a gad about it, I just go talk to people. And at one point, there were dicks that I met. And um, at one, you know, some one guy's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a writer. And I'm, you know, I do comedy. I'm a writer. And he's like, oh, really? A writer? What would you have read? What would you have written that I wrote? Or what would you have wrote that I read? <laughs> but it was uh, very confident. It, like, it, it was very confident. <laughs> it was like really like almost as if to say like. That whole thing, what do you do? You, well, what I do you hate do? That. It's code word it's, for I'm an asshole. It's oh yeah, it's already it's, totally it's like get ready to like the next word I say, I'm gonna say it loud enough. I never heard you or some shit. My shitty breath. <laughs> but yeah, you have the nerve to like and that really like how dare you when answer you're a writer? My, answer which, the which question. Which Starbucks do you work at? <laughs> and like I kind of attitude. I kind yeah. of like I kind of reared back a bit at him, and he looked like was like. Honestly, didn't think you, you know, like he's a guy that you would look at and be like, you don't read traffic signs. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. Have you fucking seen Chipotle Menu the movie? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking piece of shit. And there was just sort of a long, awkward pause. <laughs> you know, that same kind of thing happens in Vancouver and people complain about it a lot too. It's like, yeah, you know, it's why do I, why does everybody ask what you do? Why is that the first thing that they ask you? And it's it's really annoying. Like, what do I do? I work at a fucking Best Buy. You know, I like, have, what, what does it fucking matter? It's like the like, intention behind yeah. it too. It's like, what do you do? Oh, I'm not interested in that. Is yeah. what they want to like. What know, I would like, know, like people to say is, why do you think you're good enough? Don't ask <laughs> yeah, me yeah, what exactly. I do. Yeah, just fucking be direct immediately. Get the foreskin out of the way and get right to <laughs> trying to put your balls in my mouth and just say, why do you think you're good enough? Um, but my, like I have, you know, there's certain things you feel like it's just like life is a limited number of variables and the more prepared you are to encounter them, the more effectively you'll deal with them. For example, whenever someone wants to play rock, paper, scissors with me, I always go Cobra, (laughs) Cobra. And then if they go Cobra, then you can smack them in the head with the Cobra (laughs) hand that you're making with your hand. Uh, Volcano, which you just make like that. Uh, sorry, you can't see that. listeners (laughs) listeners <laughs> or infinity so cobra volcano infinity for your best out of seven or your best out of five uh rock paper scissors always wins but my favorite response to so what do you do is a, a like a very deliberate sort of pregnant pause and a 
cocking of the, of the shoulder, which is also good for punching, um, and just a very dry, whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and that really puts all those people at bay. Those, those how do you think you're, you're good enough are yeah. always kind of like, oh. I usually just don't answer. Like, I'll just say, yeah, just whatever. Like, so you, I, I, I could sit here and say, oh, like I'm in a cool band and like I do this and that. But, I, you know, you've asked me this question. There's one thing if you started a conversation with them and it comes yeah. up. But it literally, yeah. if it's yeah. the first thing they say right. to you, then it's like, you are you fi- fishing for a connection, you know? It's yeah, just it's weirdly, like, I worked in a bar yeah. in Hollywood forever. So it's like I heard it all the mm-hmm. fucking time. It was just like, the first thing I know, it's like, man, these assholes let you know they're dicks right away. So... And I appreciate that about yeah. that. <laughs> um, well, we're about at the end of this episode. Um, I want to thank Bob Schreiner. You're certainly welcome. For, for, for coming in and, and, you know, but you're a regular on the show, so I'm not thanking you that much. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, what? I should thank you because Gene Libby obviously couldn't be here today. So, uh, Johnny, thank you for... Stepping in. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. uh, that's. I know LA is. There's a lot of dickheads here, but <laughs> every time I come, like I get to do something really cool. This is yeah. Uh, this is something very cool. So cool. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you you're welcome to join us anytime you're in our states. Great. Yeah. And and Keenan, of course, thank you so much. We let's again one more time plug the events coming. Uh, February first will be the synchronicity. February first at Synchronicity on Heliotrope. We got the Legendary Creed twentieth anniversary show. Yeah. Then we're going to have on the fifteenth at Synchronicity. There'll be the DMTV two point five animation festival. It'll be mm-hmm. a touring short by Jason from Floating World with numerous animation shorts um, compiled together then on the 16th of February at Footsies there's the reading and rock spectacular presented by LA record blah 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 bands readings and then there's the zine fest yeah and before all that you'll be at uh, the Geffen yeah and then I'll be at uh, is it at the Geffen isn't it or the and the Mocha the is Mocha it? yeah it's at the Mocha the, the LA but printed matters LA David Geffen's Art name Book is Park. in there somewhere probably I'm pretty sure he gets it everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you can meet Keenan in person and somewhere this month at a bunch of different shit. So come and on out. I can't, I can't do justice to what he and and Drippy Bone Books puts out. Like I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So come check that out. Um, thank you guys again. And uh, until our next episode, I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. I'm Bob Schreiner. I'm Johnny Browning. Keenan Marsh Keller. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's Sorry, a tradition like, that we put around this. Okay. But we usually tell them we're going to do that. Now that I like lit a fart. <laughs>